sometimes I forget that thing is on. Like, or one time I was, I came in the car and I'm like, I've been talking to my wife for like 15 minutes. She's like, why do you have that thing still on? I'm like, I didn't even notice it. I gotten used to it. The only way I know it's on is if my glasses start fogging. So that's like a dead giveaway. I'm like, get rid of this thing. Okay, let's uh, turn in our Bibles. We're going to be continuing our uh, study here in the book of Acts. Now, um, this is quite um, fascinating. I don't know how this ended up working out, but we're also studying in Second Thessalonians on Wednesday. So a lot of the uh, Brother Calvin has taken up that study. Um, so I encourage you to come if you if you can make it person uh, in person. But if not, there is a and those who are on Zoom, we do meet. I believe the Zoom is still going on for Wednesday night. But we're going through the very uh, uh, letter that is happening here that we're studying through when Paul went through this this particular area. So it's very interesting because, as you would think, you know, Paul's going to write about. The same things that happened here. Now, some of it we don't see totally what he's writing about, but we do. Uh, we are some of it is recorded. The kind of uh, temperature, what Paul faced in this area, and um, what the Christians were, what he was going to encourage the Christians to start doing and to be careful on. But this is the this is the stepping stone. This is the foundation, right, to um, some of these churches that Paul writes letters to um, Thessalonica. I don't particularly know if there's one in Athens. I'm sure there was, but it's not recorded. Corinth. So, okay, so we're here in, in Ex, uh, sorry, Exodus, Acts. And we're going to look at, my uncle started um, in the first part. We're going to look at the second part. So this is going to be 15 through 34. Uh, before we get, uh, before we continue, let's just um, look to the Lord one, one last time and ask for his guidance. Father, we just ask you to open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from your law. In Lord Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Okay, so last week, which was great too, you know, um, it's amazing how the Holy Spirit works because even though these passages are, um, they're literally in the same chapter, there's, there was so much that, that, uh, my uncle could have went, but really he set the ground for what we're going to look at a little bit today. There's, there's a lot here. But what I do want to look at is, um, aha, put a little blank screen for because I wanted to wait to us. If I could make any kind of title of this uh, particular um, section is this. And this is what struck me. This is straight from our, this is straight from our text. I'm going to just read it out of excerpt. We'll get to it when um, we get to that per- particular passage. This is when Paul ends up uh, concluding his gospel message. But he says this, he... That's God the Father will judge the world in righteousness by a man, not just any man, but you know how you see how I capitalize it, but the man, the man Christ Jesus. Okay, and so this this section in in, in gospel folio uh, gospel folio's little lesson book they call this intellectual blindness, intellectual blindness. Now that might sound uh, interesting. Because if you study human history, especially during the times when, when humans, uh, when the time was coming out of the dark ages, they call it, you know, the middle ages. Uh, I found that time actually very fascinating. But the stepping stone, they call that enlightenment, renaissance. You know, men were, were uh, trade, really. What, what ended up happening is they uh, opened up the trade routes again. 
and man started spreading out throughout the globe instead of just staying inside and, you know, knowledge started transferring and they call it enlightenment. And uh, especially when it comes to uh, philosophy and uh, schools of learning, you know, there's enlightenment to it. And it is true. And so there is there is that true. uh, uh, um, There is something to that about intellectual blindness, because we do encounter some philosophers here. But I want to just put a more blanket statement on this is that sin is blindness for everyone. Doesn't matter if you're an intellectual, doesn't matter if you're a religious person. Sin has a blinding effect. And not only that, it says the rule of this world being uh, Satan has blinded the mind. This is in, in second, um, second Corinthians. He's blinded the minds of everyone so they would not come to the truth. Right. So he's throwing in front of them a uh, 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 philosophy. He's throwing in front of them pleasures. He's throwing in front of them uh, money. Uh, uh, whatever it is, things that would distract them to what the truth is right in front of them, right in front of them, what the purpose of life is, what, 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 why I'm here, everything that we, uh, that man is looking for, like, why am I here? What is it that, you know, there's something missing in my life and they're filling it with whatever they want to fill it. You talk to this person, it might be drugs, it might be this, it might be pleasure, it might be uh, self-worth, it might be uh, well, I'm going to leave the earth in a better state than when I found it. And they, and they dedicate their lives to saving animals and, and all these noble things. But what is it? You know what that is? Those are just things that the, the, the rule of this world has thrown in front of us to blind us to the truth. That because we have been separated from our Creator, and, and we have been separated from our Creator, and He has made a way that we can come back to Him, but the God of this world is against it. Right. And so he'll throw these things on. And some of it is great things. Some of it's great truths. Now, I'm not just talking about, you know, getting caught up in in over, you know, overloading your life with pleasures and and, and, and other controlled substance. We know that stuff is bad. You know, sometimes you can get caught up in that. But I'm talking about sometimes the little things that we think, well, providing for my family, that's a great thing. But sometimes you can dedicate your whole life to it that you still will miss the truth. And sometimes they can go to their grave and still meet their maker and then end up going to the man who's going to judge the world in righteousness and then meet him as their judge and not meet him as their savior. Okay? So everybody, this is the simple truth. And this is why this helped me. Because sometimes the, um, you know, the spheres that you're placed in, sometimes you do meet people that um, are intellectual. And sometimes it is a little mind-blowing because they'll start throwing these things at you, right? And uh, this is just for example. I'm just, I'm sure everybody has heard this, you know. If God's all-powerful, you know, could he make a rock so big he couldn't lift it? And then you start thinking about it. It's like, oh, man, let me think about that. Well, God can create everything, but is it possible that he can dream of something that he couldn't lift himself? And then, you know, you start getting sidetracked by all these things and, and sometimes they'll, now, they're not going to throw that in your face, but they'll throw something in, for instance, like, you know, if God is so good, why is there still evil in this world? I've, I've heard this before. And sometimes I have a, I, I have a, a coworker and he's made a, a lifelong choice that has lasted him now almost 40 years that he says no to God because of something that happened really close in, in proximity in his life, very awful uh, experience, and he blames God for it. And he says, listen, if there's evil in this world 
and God is supposed to be good, why isn't He stopping us? And He'll just focus in on that. Now, that's a pretty loaded question. I don't want to get too much, you know, we don't want to explore too much into it, but sometimes we can get so distracted in this. But here, here's the bottom line, guys. Uh, uh, this is the bottom line. Everybody in this room has come to this fact. He, God, will judge the world in righteousness by a man. Doesn't matter if you're intellectual, doesn't matter if you're religious, doesn't matter if you dedicate yourselves to saving animals, He's going to judge you in righteousness. And how are you going to stack up against righteousness? Hmm? How are we going to stack up against it? Well, I, you know what? I dedicated my life to, uh, to relieving this world of some of the evils of, you know, um, being put down and slavery and stuff. And those, those are noble goals, you know? You want to look for the good of humanity. Those are noble goals. But you know what? What does that stack up against the, the Holy God, the Holy Creator, who you, who's going to judge you in righteousness? What righteousness is that? All our righteousness is as filthy rags. Okay? So this is the basic truth. And this is why it encouraged me. Let me get back to my point, what I was making, is that it doesn't matter who you're talking to, your gospel message can always end with this. He's going to judge the world. He's going to, well, he's going to fix the day. I don't want to get too far ahead. But he's fixed the day where he's going to judge the world in righteousness by a man. By a man. And he's going to, he furnished proof by doing something. But we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. So, that also helps me as a believer, right? And, you know, we can get so um, discouraged sometimes in talking with individuals. And, you know, sometimes we do have to come back and say, you know, I don't really know the answer to that question. Let me go research it. But listen, remember this. The gospel message, right, that God does love the world, but he's fixed the day that he's going to judge the world in righteousness by a man. And are they ready? Are we ready? To, to meet that day. Okay. Enough said about that. So we're going to pick up um, right where we uh, where my uncle left off last week. And remember, Paul was... Um, he got the call to go to this particular area. Uh, oh. Man, you can hardly see that, huh? Okay, so anyway, this is, this is the Mediterranean Sea. This is Israel down here. I'll try to outline this. I gotta remember this. White doesn't really show up too well. So this is, uh, this is present day Turkey, right? This is called Asia at the time. This is the Aegean Sea. This is Greece right here, right? So he was passing through what, you know, we think of the continent of Asia, you know, you know, which is China, parts of Russia, but that's not it. Oh, what did I do? Um, I think I stopped it somehow. Oh, there we go. Okay, so, uh, and, what he, this was where he was commended from. Um, sorry if I'm blocking you there. He was commended from Antioch. So he ended up wanting to go through this region, but the, um, he was not permitted to, and he was, uh, got the call to go to Macedonia, right? Which is this, uh, Alexander the Macedon, you know, or Philip the Macedon, which is his father, right? Alexander the Great. So this is this area, right? Greece. So he ends up going through here. And Philippi, right, some of these words might, uh, you might recognize, Philippians. And then he goes to these cities and then, and he comes to Thessalonica, which is what we were in in the beginning of 17. And what happened there, as my uncle covered, um, he goes in, reasons with them. Um, the message was, he was preaching about how the Christ must suffer. And the Jews got jealous and they ran him out, right? 
They ended up running him out. So he ends up going down to Berea. And from there, you know, he starts doing the same thing. The Jews up here, the people that were angry about the message that were so convicted, that's really what that is, right? The reaction, why they're, you know, you're going to fight against it, right? And kick against it. But, you know, a lot of times, and really that's, that's, I think I see that in this world. It's not maybe they're trying to kill you per se, but they get so angry. You could see it in their mouth. They're just gritting their teeth. I think those are the ones that are most um, convicted by the message that you're telling them. So they ended up coming down here. They heard, hey, this guy Paul just went down to Berea. Hey, this is just around the corner. Let's go see what we can do. They ended up running him out, you know, starting a riot, and that's what we covered last week. And they took him all the way down here to Athens. Now, you know, there was no, I know this is silly saying there's no Uber, there's no cars, but, you know, that, that's a long journey. Because it says that they took him as far as Athens. It says here in 15, um, it says, the people, uh, those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens and received a command from, uh, for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible so they departed. So the group that he was traveling with, you know, some of them brought them down here and they left Paul here because he was a wanted man. He was on their Thessalonica most wanted, you know, and so his face was very recognizable, obviously. But maybe Paul, uh, sorry, Silas and Timothy were not, or maybe they were doing something different. But in any case, they're up here in Berea still, and he's down here. Okay, so that's where we pick up our story. In verse 16, it says, Paul was, uh, while he was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw the city given, uh, what, saw the city that it was full of idols. I just want to stop there really quick. Um, it tells us something about this man and where his heart was, right? His heart was for souls. And so when he comes to this city, what does he notice? Well, he just observes. And he observes, he says, well, listen, there's a lot of idols here. And, you know, you know, you can think of, you can picture what an idol is, um, you know, some kind of like metal, you know, figurine of a person or a wooden thing. But, you know, we think, oh, that's so silly. You know, that, that, that's, that's dumb. You know, I mean, who would, who would bow down to something like that and deify that? Well, you know, there's idols today that, you know, have replaced those figurines today. Or the back then, excuse me, right? We, we have our own idols today. You know, we have the God of pleasure. <laughs> we have this and money, whatever else. You know, those are idols that we have set up that we in turn are giving glory to and, you know, essentially worshiping instead of giving it to where it should be going to our creator. And so when Paul's walking around, he sees all these idols and he says, it says that his spirit was provoked in him and you think, I was thinking, man, how can I get to that, you know, how can I be like Paul? You know, how can I be like Paul? Like, how can I get to that point where, you know, I just, as I'm walking around and, and I, and maybe I'm at work or I, I see, you know, this ex coworker or this Z, you know, coworker and they've been on my mind and, and, and I'm provoked to just go talk to them, right? I'm moved to go talk to them. I want to see them get saved. Well, it's a personal, it started with a personal thing with Paul and that, he, in his own heart, right, has dealt with these kind of things. And especially when it came to idols, right? But he was carrying this message of the gospel. And as he's coming to this city, which, you know, up in this point, right, the, the church is very new. So there's no established fellowships in these areas that he's going to. So it's new work. It's new work. There's no Christian uh, 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 representation. 
in, in these places. And so when he goes there, he just sees a bunch of, the, you know, the state of human uh, of humankind outside of Christ, right? Lost. Remember, we talked about sin being a blinded. They're just walking around not knowing where they're going, right? Sin has that kind of effect. So he sees all these idols and he's provoked and he wants to, uh, uh, he wants, you know, he wants them to have the freedom that they're so desperately looking for, right? Looking for something that uh, give purpose to their life, but he's going to present to them what it is and that's in Jesus. And so he, what he ends up doing, and, and we see this exact phrase uh, uh, throughout his travels. We looked at it um, in the beginning of this chapter, um, when he goes in the synagogue, it says this, that he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and devout persons in the marketplace and with those who happen to be there. And so he ends up going first to the synagogues. Now, this is going to be a little bit different. Um, if you remember in, in Thessalonica and in, in Berea, right, he goes, I don't see that he ended up going anywhere else, I don't think. Um, we'll have to confirm that later. But he ended up going, um, I'm sure he did, but he ended up going to the synagogues first. And because there was an established, um, you know, there was established Jewish presence and he, and he had a heart for Jews, obviously, but he was sent to the Gentiles. So he went there first and he started reasoning with them. He continues that, but it says this, not only that, he doesn't just stop there. He ends up going out into the marketplace. Well, where are the people meeting? Let me go out there and talk to them as well. Because I believe when we look at his message, his message was different as it was in, in Thessalonica and Berea. In Berea and Thessalonica, he's talking about why the Christ must suffer, why the Messiah came, and all the things that uh, that happened to him. But his message is going to, is going to be different to this group of people because there's obviously it's a different group of people. And so he goes in, reasons with them. And then says here in verse 18, And some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also converse with him. And some said, What does this babbler wish to say? And others said, He seemed to be a preacher of foreign deities because he was preaching of Jesus, preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Now, we're also introduced to two other groups of people. Um, one is this group called the Epicurean uh, Epicurean philosophers, and one is the Stoic. Now, I, I did look into this a little bit. Um, you know, there is there is some benefit, obviously, in, in researching some of this. Um, the Bible does talk about, you know, to be innocent evil. So it's not exactly great just to kind of study all this world religion and philosophy because what end up happening is you're filling your, your mind with it. Um, but um, I just looked at it briefly, and I, I think this is, it, the Lord obviously recorded this for a reason. And if you look at it, and I'm not pr- pretending to be a, 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 a scholar in these kind of philosophies, but what I found, especially with Epicurean, which follows the, which came after the man of Epicurus, and, you know, the, what their overall theme is, they, they both kind of want the same thing. You know, everybody sort of wants the same thing, inner peace. How can I go through this world, and especially with everything that's happening around, you know, <laughs> I mean, I remember seeing this commercial. I actually don't even know what it was, but the guy was just so peaceful. Maybe he was drinking some kind of like drink and it was promoting it, but he could have inner peace drinking the drink, but there was like planes crashing down and trains and all this stuff. And he was just walking and just having a great grand old time. And really, you know, that's what people want. How can I amidst this, this 
messed up world, how can I have inner peace? How is it that I can walk on and keep going on and, and you know, the stress and, and well, you know what? You, you can't find it without Jesus, right? And so people try and strive and, and, and they do all these things. And, and, and especially with Epicurus, you know, he tried to say, well, you know, everything in this world is material, made up of atoms. And if material is God, then you know what? You need to find their peace by chasing after different pleasures. And, and when, uh, uh, passions come and, and what they means is, is, is suffering coming from, you know, that's happening from external forces, right? You know, for instance, you know, something happening outside that causes pain, you know, some attacking army, whatever, somebody robbed you, you know, some things that we face, you know, how can you have inner peace in that situation? Well, you need to chase after that. And Stoic, which, which came after a man, uh, Zeno, it's something along the same lines, not necessarily uh, uh, exactly the same, but you know, you get the idea that what they're after is what Christianity provides the true answer for. And so, you know, they're saying, well, listen, reason and 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 and, and it's in yourself to find it is basically what it comes to too. Well, you need to get to it by separating these kind of feelings, and when they come down, you know, whatever you want to placate it with something else. You know, you need to reason it out of your life and you need to get to that goal by yourself. It's impossible. And honestly, what you end up find, finding, especially with Stoic, you know, there must have been a high rate of suicide because they ended up coming to the point where they said, well, at first suicide was, 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 was looked upon frowningly. You know, that was a, 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 but now they, they, I read that they might be even, they're, they're saying, well, it might be the highest form of like, now that he's reached the goal or she's reached some kind of goal. I mean, seriously, but that's where it drives to, right? It must be frustrating to try to, in yourself, trying to get to a goal. Can you imagine? It's like climbing a wall and not having enough strength to get to the top. That's exactly what we were outside of Christ, right? And so you have these individuals, they're conversing with Paul and they're saying, you know, they've come to you know, some form of, of, of intellectual plateau Right, and they feel like they had it, but really, everybody's at the same level. Remember, sin has blinded this world. Sin has blinded us apart from Christ, and so everybody is walking in the dark. We don't know where we're heading, and it doesn't matter what stage or what class of person you are. Everyone has been blinded. Everyone is ignorant to the fact. There was one other verse I wanted to read concerning this. This is in um, this is in uh, Ephesians. It says this, um, oh, I put that one wrong. Ephesians 4, it says this, uh, in verse 17, just a few verses. Now, I say this and I testify in the Lord, but you might no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And so he's, 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 uh, encouraging these Christians, right, not to walk as Gentiles. And what he just means is those who are in the world, right? Those are worldly people, Gentiles. And what is the, what is the description of Gentiles? In the flu, in the, uh, futility of their mind, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of the heart. So a lot of it is because of their own, you know, it is because of their own choice, obviously, that we're in this state. But, you know, God is still, uh, we're gonna to get to it in a second. I keep saying that, but God is still, you know, trying to get, 
trying to get a hold of these people, but they still said no. We don't want any, you know, we don't want to do with anything that is the creator. We don't want to answer to it. We want material and, and what we see. Nature is God, and that's who we want to answer to. Because you know what? Nature and material, they don't talk back. They don't have a level of holiness. But you know, if I have to answer to a God who's all powerful and he's holy, well, ooh. Remember what? He will judge the world in righteousness by, by a man, right? And so that, of course they want to answer to, uh, 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 an atom because an atom is inanimate. Yeah, it's, it's, it's life. But an atom, Adam doesn't talk back. Adam doesn't think. Material doesn't think. Of course they want to chase after that. Anyway, um, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that, um, that is in them due to the hardness of the heart. Verse 19, they have become callous and given themselves to sensuality, greed, and practice of every impurity. And so what has happened is because of their rejection of God that Paul's talking about, because of their constant rejection of God, you know what? Fine. God says, you know what? If you want to continue going that way, fine. I'm going to turn you over. This is the, this is what happens in, in Romans 1, right? They continually persist after... Uh, 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 um, immoral behavior and and they're chasing after animals and they want to start fine you know what you want to trade the the my glory fine i'm going to turn it over to the glory of an animal and you end up seeing people worship animals you say that's silly you know who worships animals it happens today maybe we don't bow down to them but you know what we elevate them above even sometimes human beings sometimes it drives me crazy because I see people that I've talked to, and they have more love for an animal than they have for their own uh, unknown uh, person. And I say, what twisted person can be like that? That they would love uh, an animal who doesn't talk back. Maybe they have show some emotions, but more than humans? I'm telling you, that is Romans 1. They have devolved themselves, in, in, and God has turned them over. says, fine, you want to keep rejecting it? You want to keep rejecting life? I'm going to turn you over to this and you're going to get worse and worse and worse. And even though they pretend to reach this level, uh, plateau of intellectual and, and, and self-worth and I finally have gotten rid of all the stress and everything that's in my life. No, sir. Right. Anyways. It's really what we see in this world. And I, 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 I don't want to get too off track in, in the sense that I, I wanted to bring that before you because we see that and you know we can it really opens our eyes to see what we see out there right and and what we see <clears throat> in this world is a result of persistent sin and persistent rejecting of the light God says fine I'm just going to turn you back over to more darkness okay back to our chapter so they meet these these he talks to these Epicurean and Stoic philosophers and he, they said, oh, he must be preaching other uh, foreign di- uh, divinities because he's preaching of Jesus and the resurrection. That's going to be a sticking point for them at one point. Uh, what do I have to? Is it 1130? Yeah. Okay. Let's try to get through this. Uh, verse 20, it says, um, it says, and then they took him and they brought him to the Areopagus. And they said, may we know what new teaching that you are pre- uh, presenting for you are bringing some strange things to our ear. And we wish to know what these things mean. Now all of the Athenians and foreigners who live there spend their time in nothing, uh, nothing except telling or hearing something new. 
So literally what we're seeing is what we, what happens today, right, with, with social media. Is sometimes, and I've heard this uh, before now, I've gotten off of it um, a while back for my own personal reasons once I met Wincy because I use it just to try to meet somebody. And it didn't work at first, but finally it happened. I said, well, I don't need this anymore. <laughs> but, you know, there's some, there's some value to it. I'm not, I'm not going to down it, but I've heard this several times from different people, Christians and non. You know, they'll sit down and look at something, and it's, then they realize four hours have passed. Because what they're just doing is they're seeing something new. Now, I'm not even talking about those who are using it and really you guys are like, we're like lab wraps, right? Because they're just feeding us what they, you know, they're using that information. They're mining it from us. But that's besides the point. But, you know, we want to see something new. We want to read something new. What else is out there? And that's exactly what this is. They just, these are precursor 2,000 years ago. They even have it then. You know, maybe they had stone tablets. That took forever, you know. They're like, oh, no, no, no. We want to hear about it now. That's literally what it is. Wait, you're bringing something new? This is interesting. And where they brought them, it says the Areopagus. Now, sometimes, what does somebody have something else in their Bible about that? Where that, do they have another name for that? Mars Hill. Mars Hill. So, Areopagus is, is, they think it's, it came after the, the, the Greek deity called Ares. Now, in, in, um, about 130 BC, when Rome captured Greece, right, they came through, they basically, uh, maintained the entire control of the Mediterranean Sea at one point, but they conquered Greece, and what they ended up doing was, um, absorbing a lot of their philosophy and religion. And so, when you see um, Mars or you see Ares, they're literally the same thing. But Mars is the um, is the Roman equivalent to Ares, the god of war. You see Zeus, and I think they call him um, Jupiter. Um, but anyway, it, they just absorbed the Greek religion and they made it their own. So it's literally the same thing, but they're just different names, and so they're interchangeable. But it's also interesting that why this place was called Areopagus is, well, of course, this is what they say is, um, well, this is where Ares was judged because, and this is how twisted, uh, when you start looking at these gods and, and really what you find out when a self-made religion is really man on the throne. Their gods, what ended up happening is Ares ended up murdering one of the other gods' son because he did something awful to his daughter. So they ended up taking Ares and taking him to this, what they say, this exact place and judging him in the Areopagus. They judged him there. And and you start reading this and say, man, these people, these gods, that these divinities are acting just like human beings. And so, really, I mean, why would you want to be follow a religion where your divinity and your God, who's all-powerful, ends up acting just like you, right? And you don't even know what they're going to do. And that's why that's why the, the God of the Bible is so precious because what his character is, he never changes, Right, and he never, and he will never divert, uh, diverge from that. And he is not like us in that sense, right? That we're just so wishy-washy, but he's holy and undefiled, right? So anyway, so they ended up uh, the the gods took uh, Ares down here and they judged him in this place. That's what they think. So it was an auditorium, right? And they said, well, "Listen, we're going to bring you to our version of social media, and we're going to hear what you're going to say." Okay, so Paul says, and he's standing up in the midst, and this is what I want to look at. We're going to look at Paul's. Uh, in the last seven minutes, uh, and then we'll stop, uh, we're going to look at some characteristics of God that he's going to pull out. Very basic, but I think it's, it, it, it helps us 
as believers, not only when we're, when we're, uh, uh, when we want to witness to individuals, but also, um, what I find here is, um, you know, we're not in this alone. We're co, we're, we're co-laborers with God. And so we just present ourselves and then God gives us the ability to go out there, the words to say, but here's what he does. He just, the first thing that I notice that Paul, before he gets into his gospel message that you see, is this. He says, standing in the midst of the Areopagus. So remember, he's in the middle of this uh, uh, um, arena. Everybody's there that wanted to come hear about it. right? You have a lot of people, and he's talking to them. Men of Athens, I perceive in any way that you are very religious. Observation. I mean, this really is... I. I I mean, I hate to use this word as game changer because everything is a game changer sometimes when you realize it, but, you know, your head explodes, whatever. But really, if you just ask questions with people and just let them respond, that's literally what he did. He just walked around and he just saw, man, these people are very religious. Let me go in on that. Let me go in in that angle when I go to present the gospel. And look what he finds. He says, listen, for I passed along and I observed the objects of your worship and I found an altar with this inscription. To the unknown God, uh, what therefore you worship in the unknown, this I proclaim to you. And so what he tells him, listen, I, I see that, and, and this is, uh, history proves this, is that they, you know, they had, not only did they have 12 major deities, you know, Zeus and Hera and all this, whatever, but they had, you know, multiple, you know, minor uh, uh, gods, you know, you heard of Hercules and all these guys, you know, they had that, but they had a numerable amount. And they said, listen, and this is what ends up happening. It says, listen, if I have a God of podiums and I have a God of microphones, wait, wait a second. What if I'm missing something else? You know, we're going to make an altar to the unknown God. And we're still going to worship it. You know what's also interesting? I failed to mention this. Especially today. You know, when you think of intellectual people, you know, uh, divinity and, you know, or, or a higher power in intellectual sometimes doesn't mix. Because you know what is hand in hand? Is, is really atheism and, and, um, evolution. But that's a, that's a recent thought. Because even then, right, they even, uh, even these philosophers, they, they admitted there had to be a higher power out there. Now, they didn't necessarily answer to him in the way that we would, you know, they still were lost. But, you know, today when you think of intellectual and, and philosophy, there's no talk about any kind of God, even if it's a small g God. Right? Because, you know, man is God. My brain is God. And if I can think it out, you know, that's it. Or nature's God. Whatever it is. But anyways, these people were very religious. These philosophers, these business people, these religious people. There was a bunch of people there. And they said, you know what? We're going to cover all the gods. Not only do we have Ares and Artemis and, and you know what? We're going to have an altar to the unknown God. And he says, Paul says, you know what? I'm going to tell you about this God that you're worshiping already. You know, look, I'm going to tell you that this God is not like any of the other gods. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it. So the very first thing that we we see about God, I like showing up, and these are all going to end in the ER, I hope so. I think maybe one is OR. But the God who made the world and everything in it, he being Lord, let's just stop there. The God who made the world and everything in it. So the first thing that we read about God is that He's a designer or a creator. I was going to use creator, but then it was an OR, so now let's just use the ER. So creator, designer, He created heaven and earth. What's next? Being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man. Now this is interesting. Dweller of heaven, not of earth. 
right? And so sometimes, you know, man wants that. If I, yeah, we can, we can follow, we can follow a higher power, but you know what? We're going to tell you where he lives. And we're going to tell you what he does. You know, and what kind of God is that if I'm just telling him and directing where he, well, no, I end up being God. He doesn't live here. He's a dwell, he dwells in heaven, not on earth. Uh, he does not live in temples made by man, nor is served by human hands as if he needed anything. This is, this is powerful. Self-sustainer. He doesn't need anything. Now, what does that mean? Now, I gotta be careful when I say this, cause, you know, some people, well, why, why even create, why even do creation? Um, why even do, uh, why even go through creation? Is there something that God's getting out of this? Well, there's nothing that he needs from man in the sense that sometimes that we need, right? You know, as individuals, we need to live. We need uh, air, you know, uh, food, water, emotion, love, things like that. Well, God doesn't need any of that. He's self-sustained. You know, he had perfect fellowship. There was nothing that he needed. He decided to create. I mean, he just wanted to share who he was with his creation, that's all I can say about that. I don't know why. I mean, sometimes those, these questions come up. But there's nothing that he needs from man. He didn't create man because he needed a relationship with him. He had perfect, you know, within the Godhead. But he is self-sustained. There's nothing that he needs. Paul tells you. Since he himself gives to man, uh, mankind life, breath, and everything. He's the... Uh, He's the supplier and gives to man. He doesn't need anything because he supplies everything for you. Now, this is powerful, too, because you know what? Sometimes we can go through life and we say, my house, my money, my this, my this, my this. And sometimes that we say that, and I understand I understand what we know what we mean, but sometimes we, we take that to the next extreme. We say, you know what? This is mine. I'm going to do with it what I seem fit to do with it. When we lose the fact that the supplier gave it to us. He gave us everything, even the breath that I'm breathing. We don't have enough time to look too much into it, but there's a, there's a principle there that he supplies everything. But how should I live now? How should that change my life, right, when I think about the supplier instead of me being the one and just taking, taking, taking everything that he's giving me for myself? Okay, so he supplies, gives the breath uh, to everything, and verse 26. Now, this is where it sometimes it gets, uh, not sometimes, it gets pretty interesting. He's an organizer. Look at this. He made from every, uh, he made from one, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the earth, uh, the face of the earth, and we'll stop there. And so, you know, this really answers the question of, of, you know, of, of all the animosity and really, you know, the root of it is sin, but, you know, Every person in this world has a common ancestor. There's not this person. There's not, you know, that race. There's not, yes, there's different colors, right? And there's different families. But everybody came from one person. That shouldn't shock us, right? I mean, science wants to prove some other things. But he has made every person, uh, uh, um, he has made every individual in this world from one person. And he's divided them up across the globe. He's the one that did it. And you can read stories about even when, when man uh, came back together. Remember the Tower of Babel where, where we have our foreign languages, why everybody speaks a different language. But he spread them out. And he's doing this for a purpose. But he spread out. He himself organized everybody across this globe. And so you have, 
you know, the group here in, in Parrock Pines, you know, Americans here, you have Cubans here, and he did it. God did it. For what purpose? Having determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. That's part of that one. Sorry. 27. That they should seek God and hope that they might feel their way towards Him and find Him. Yet He is actually not far from each one of us. And so He's the answer. He split up everybody across this grove, not just because He's he's a cruel person. He doesn't want them to get together and be unified. No, because He wants them to seek after Him. You know, that's what the problem was, was in Babel, in, in Babylon, is that they got together and they said, we don't need God. We can build a tower ourselves up to heaven and we can supplant Him up in heaven. If we just put our minds together and come to... Isn't that the message today? Unifying each other, right? We need to get together. You hear it in songs. I mean, those are great things. We need to get together. But they want to get together without the one. They want to get together without God. If we can do it by ourselves... We don't need God. But you know what? God has separated everybody, everybody, Africa, China. He has separated everybody in, in their individual lands for this express purpose because He wants them to seek after Him. He wants them to seek after Him. And what, what, what are you talking about? This is pre-gospel. This is pre-gospel. So this is at the beginning, since the fall, He has spread out everybody so that they seek after Him. I'm telling you, when I read stuff like this, God is very long-suffering with us. He is not willing that any should perish. You know, sometimes you think, oh, you know, somebody will throw up some question and, and so, oh, what about, you know, the, as, a, as a smoke screen not to come to the gospel, not to receive it. You know, what about this and, and this remote village and the gospel? God has separated everyone into individual places that they might seek Him. And then he quotes this. Ah, we're almost out of time. I mean, we are out of time. All right, we'll end with this thought. He takes in these two, actually we'll skip that because I think I, I did ask questions on that, so I don't want to take up too much, so we'll look at that. But he ends up quoting from two um, secular writers, and and this is why, uh, uh, that's the question I want to answer. So I know I keep going back and forth, I'm like thinking, oh, did I create this? Because I want, you know, that we should talk about it later, I should encourage you, this is also at, um, shameless advertising, the the Monday uh, studies have been great. Um, we split up into uh, by gender sometimes and other groups, but um, we go through this very thing to look at it, and it's an opportunity to share, you know, what you have, and not just you know listening to this dull person up here. So he ends up quoting from two philosophers, uh, uh, two writers that they would have known, and he says this, and I want to end with this since we started with this. Let's go back. Verse twenty-nine: Being then God's offspring. We ought not to think the divine being as gold or silver or stone, an image formed by art by the imagination of man. And so he, he comes and says, listen, you don't have to look far to think, listen, that little golden, uh, you know, whatever that thing was, you know, I'm just going to think Buddha, but Buddha wasn't around there. But, you know, whatever that, that golden uh, idol is, you don't got to think that that's God because if you're an offspring of that, I don't even look like that. I'm not even like an inanimate object. No, God is somebody who's real. And if I'm his offspring, we can't think that he's something like that. We can't think that he's just material. He transcends material. He created the material. He, can't, he is not material. But in times of ignorance, he overlooked them. And he now commands everyone to repent. In verse 31, because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man 
whom he has appointed, and how how has he given this world proof that he's going to judge this world? That he has given this assurance by raising him from the dead. And so, you know, many, many, uh, the enemy, this world has done, has gone to great lengths to try to disprove God, try to outthink him. We don't need him. But if there's something that they can try to undo, right, and mess with Israel, of course, the promise is there. But if we can prove that he didn't raise from the dead, well, we don't have to face him as judge. Well, it's not the truth, right? Even history itself has proven that this man has risen from the dead, being Jesus. And so he has furnished proof to the entire world. Listen, there's going to come a day, if you don't receive this offer that I'm giving to you now, of salvation, of reconciliation, fine. You know what? You're going to meet him again. He's going to come back, and he's going to judge the world in righteousness. And he's going to judge everybody. And and I believe that is a, a, a direct reference. There's, there's obviously different ways that the Lord judges, you know, coming back from Armageddon and judging the you know, the, the world system at that point. But the great right throne, right? The entire, all the dead in the sea, in hell itself, where you're going to stand before him. You know, and that's, and for me, honestly, that's encouraging being Christian because sometimes you look at some of these evil men in this world and, and they're, they're, the way they treat humanity, the way they treat this world, and they end up, you know, they, they end up killing themselves. You say, where's the justice in that? Guess what? They're going to come back to life and they're going to stand before the judge of all the earth. So they're not going to escape judgment. They're going to stand before him. And that is the message, right, of the gospel, that God loves this world. But you know what? If we reject it, there's going to come a day he's going to judge this world in righteousness by the man. And he's furnished proof by raising him from the dead. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you that we got to look into your word. We just pray, Lord, that you would... <clears throat> Just help us as we, as believers, Lord. Um, you've placed us in different circles, Lord, not just for, for, for making money. And, you know, sometimes we think, yeah, that's, that's the profession I want to be in, or that's my favorite, um, uh, supermarket. But Lord, you brought us sometimes to these areas because there's some soul there that you want us to witness to. And, and, and Father, we just pray that we'd be like, like Paul, provoked as we walk around and we see these individuals, family members, and sometimes we do have a heart for them, Lord, and we just pray for them. But we just pray for our own, Lord, that we would be provoked as we walk around this world and realize that there's going to come a day, uh, there's going to come a day that we cannot escape, that the world cannot escape, that you're going to stand before your son as judge, that he's going to judge this world in righteousness. So, Father, we just pray for, uh, just keep us safe and bless the rest of this day. In Lord Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.